Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Andrew Hardaway. And Jeff Kanata. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. You'll find more of our episodes at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Today, uh, we're going to be discussing uh, a new Slash Film Court question where we adjudicate your movie-related dilemmas. We have some what we've been watching to go over, and then we're going to conclude with an in-depth review. This week, we'll be reviewing uh, Nate Parker's film, The Birth of a Nation. So that's what's on tap on the Slash Filmcast for today. Before we get to any of that, though, uh, I wanted to thank a few people uh, for emailing in Slash Film Court Music. Now, I put the call out out for Slash Film Court Music, and uh, some people just emailed in. Uh, a, a theme song for Slash Film Court, uh, Simon Harris. You can find his website at simonmharris.com. Sent in a Slash Film Court theme song, which I, I think you'll agree is amazing. And so um, <laughs> uh, he's not the only person who sent in uh, a Slash Film Court uh, music, and maybe we'll use some of the other music uh, in future weeks. But uh, of all the people who've sent in music, uh, he is uh, he has produced my favorite one. And so let's hear that music right now. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Chills down my butt. <laughs> it's amazing that somebody put the time and effort to do that, and I, I love it. I love anybody that listens to my other shows knows that I'm a sucker for bumpers. So yeah, uh, yeah. I love bumpers. More bumpers, I say. Yeah, who did the uh, music for DLC? By the way, uh, several different people. Chiefly among them is a guy named Sean Madigan, who uh, did I think three out of the five ones we do. Um, yeah, so it's it's all uh, all listeners created. But yeah, I, I love that stuff. Yeah, I think it's awesome as well. So thanks to Simon Harris. Thanks to everyone else who emailed in. We might use your music on future weeks, but uh, for now, Simon Harris is, is you know it just completely blew me away and gave me chills, and uh, I think we're going to be using it for a while. So anyway, theme music would be useless without a segment to attach it to. So uh, welcome to the Slash Film Court, ladies and gentlemen, where we talk about your movie-related problems. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail dot com, and today's email comes in from John B. in Los Angeles. John B. writes in, After listening to your decision on the case of uh, M versus The Force Awakens, I could not resist contacting you with my own Star Wars-related dilemma. I'm a huge Star Wars fan and have been uh, since my childhood in the 80s when I would collect toys and watch the original trilogy on family VHS tapes until I knew virtually every line. As such, one could argue that I have been waiting through my childhood and entire adult life for a decent sequel, a wait made even more painful by the false hope and subsequent crushing fiasco of the prequels. As the release of Episode Seven approached, I went full Kanata, avoiding all trailers, gossip, and hints about what might transpire. I had a good feeling about this one, and as Frank Costanza would say, I wanted to go in fresh. I went to the movie theater on opening weekend, Thursday night, midnight, after a full social media blackout to ensure that I wouldn't accidentally come across any spoilers from my East Coast friends. As I stepped into the theater, I checked my phone one last time. And let me – Dave Chen, I'm going to pause this email for a second and say we are going to spoil Star Wars The Force Awakens here. So if you haven't seen Star Wars The Force Awakens, you don't want to be spoiled. The rest of this email is going to spoil Star Wars The Force Awakens. You may skip forward now. Okay. Anyway, back to the email (laughs) from John B. in L.A. I checked my phone one last time before putting it on silent, and there on my home screen was a text from a friend that said simply, 
Han Solo dies, followed by the middle finger emoji. <laughs> there was no motive whatsoever for this action. The perpetrator was not seeking vengeance or attempting to instigate something. He's just a fairly dopey guy and thought it would be a funny joke. It was not. Some form of corporal punishment followed by severing a friendship is the clear knee-jerk reaction to this predicament. But there is one very relevant wrinkle that complicates all of this. I am in the midst of post-production on my feature directorial debut, and said friend is also the executive producer on my film. To be more clear, he is the sole gatekeeper of all finances and the only authority able to cut the checks necessary to pay the people needed to finish my movie. Therefore, giving him the private pile treatment is not presently an option. One final note... This friend slash executive producer just got engaged and has planned his wedding for April of next year. Uh, the film will have been completed well before then. <laughs> Regards, John Bianelli. Interesting that he put that final note in there. Yeah. Uh, wonder what he thought we would do with that here on the Slash Film Court. That kind of outs who you are, too. In any case, <laughs> in any case, uh, okay, so John B. has a problem. His friend made a very asshole-ish decision to spoil Star Wars The Force Awakens for him uh, after he had gone full Kanata, which, by the way, is also my, f- my favorite sex move. Yeah. Uh, he had gone full Kanata of... Just avoid looking at anything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what am I sticking this into? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Avoided all trailers, avoided like all commentary, gone in fresh, only to get spoiled at the last second by a... Uh, a, t- a random text message from his friend. The middle finger emoji is really what is the is the <laughs> pace de la resistance. You know, it's uh, it's uh, really puts the it really makes it um it really puts the fuck in fuck you. Yeah, it's, it makes it uh, unequivocal. You know, it's, it's there's no there's no doubt as to the intent of the of the, emo- of the uh, text message. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, okay, the so only option here. You know, is to stay friends with this guy, get really close, like become his best man, you know, and uh, just (laughs) utterly ruin his wedding day. Just like divulge (laughs) the darkest secret you can. Yeah. As we know, revenge is a dish best served cold. The first movie is not the revenge movie. The second movie is the revenge movie. Yes. Uh, We you 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 have to you you plan and you plot and you find out what he what he holds most dear and then you middle finger emoji it right to hell. Huh. Okay, so both of you are arguing for retribution in the yes. form of... Uh, it's the only way this works, yes. In the form of waiting until the film completes. and then... The Chicago way! You, uh, <laughs> they cut off a finger, we cut off an arm! <laughs> okay, uh, in, in the form of waiting until this film is completed, letting things cool down, and then old boy style coming back at him with something ridiculously yeah. disproportionate. Is that, yes. yeah. is that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I mean, so, I don't know if I'm going to go as far as Devendra and, and say sabotage his wedding. But... <laughs> no, no, no. Keep, keep going. Keep going. You know, let, let him get married for a couple of years, uh, slowly seduce his wife. Uh, when his first child is born, then he looks like you. Yeah. Slowly seduce his wife. <laughs> this was okay. for Star Wars. Guys, I, I feel like you're not taking this uh, quite seriously <laughs> from the Slash Home Court. I mean, I, I think, you know, I had something like this happen to me recently, actually, uh, where I'd been avoiding trailers for an upcoming film that we're going to review on the podcast uh, because I heard the trailer gives away some pretty major uh-huh. uh, plot developments. And then someone who's a big fan of the podcast tweeted at me something that happens in the trailer that's a total spoiler. Uh, and now it's kind of those so things Dave, like... What you do is you slowly seduce his wife. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, no, but seriously, like, uh, you, have have any of you had people do this to you in real life where they On accidentally? Purpose? I mean, people accidentally spoil shit to me mm-hmm. all the time. But I, also, I yeah, I have a pretty I don't know nonchalant attitude about most of that stuff too. Yeah. Okay. So. Firstly, here's what this email made me appreciate is Devinger and I have had increasingly divergent opinions on whether to watch trailers and what constitutes a spoiler. Certainly, it's much different now than when we started this podcast eight years ago. <laughs> and uh, and to his credit, you know, even though Devendra like really violently disagrees with me sometimes, I don't I can't remember a single time when you've recklessly spoiled something for me. Well, I don't. Um, well, it sounds very, like his friend did that. It's, on it's very yeah. good news for Devendra's wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't remember a single time when like Devendra has spoiled something for me accidentally or on purpose, like out of. Well, spite. I'm always so, cognizant of spoilers, right? It's yeah. not like having uh, vegetarian friends. You can't just pick any random restaurant. You gotta, you can have to, you know, agree and talk and stuff. But uh, it's true. It does it's a, make me great- sad. That's a great analogy because um, oftentimes being a vegetarian or a vegan is inconvenient for those around you. Yep. And it makes you feel a little guilty, but it's nice when your friends respect your lifestyle choices. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I think like my real life like actual advice would be wait until the movie's done, certainly. <laughs> but, uh, but then just confront your friends. Say, hey, like this is not a cool thing. This is something I think is really important. Like why did you do this? And make them promise not to do it again. Uh, I actually don't it, even think he has to wait till the movie's done either. It's not you. You can confront somebody without like destroying your relationship. Well, I, I guess I would say. I guess I would say I'm not sure what the maturity level of this friend is. So I don't right. know. I can't. I can't get in this friend's mind uh, and understand <laughs> yeah. what would motivate someone to recklessly spoil Force Awakens yeah. for someone. It's. I mean. So so it, like who knows special. who knows what other actions he's capable of is what I'm saying. Like you just don't know. <laughs> so given that, Burn I would this say, movie to the ground. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You don't know. So I would the say one. The ahead. one proactive thing you can definitely learn from this and take away, and we should all learn from this, is don't ever check your phone one last time. <laughs> yes. This is true. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's pretty. Reasonable. It is kind of yeah. It's it's, it's like you're at the finish. It's like you're one of those people that starts celebrating like yep. ten feet away from the finish line, and then someone <laughs> yeah. like runs past you and takes the gold. Yeah, you know? it, like, like if there's a movie that? coming out, like I don't, I look at trailers and everything, but there's still you know spoilers that don't exist in trailers. And as a movie is coming out, I don't, I don't read reviews if it's something I've really been anticipating because that's where the little tidbits tend to come out. You know, it's not in the marketing. So. Uh, anyway, going back to my story, someone did this uh, to me <laughs> on, on purpose. Twitter. They, I don't think they thought it was a spoiler, but for me, yeah, it was a spoiler. Yeah, and uh, there was and no middle finger emoji. I had to, I had to mute I had to mute this person on Twitter. Unfortunately, you know. Well, Dave, I've seen you mute people for uh, for all sorts of reasons too. So. Totally, totally. Uh, but yeah, I, I had to mute this person, but but I did not confront them because uh, I don't know because it felt a little silly. You know, it felt a little silly to say, hey. Yeah. Don't tweet but, at me things that happen in the trailer. You know, well, like, there's a big difference between a person who inadvertently spoils something yes. and a guy who tweets a middle finger emoji. Like For that's sure. that's a completely different. Yeah, that is a malicious. Act. There's a different intention there, and yeah. also like when I get people uh, tweeting spoilers at me too, if I'm like talking about something, it is actually kind of an important thing to just say like, hey, can you delete that? Because anybody who sees your timeline will also see that spoiler. Yeah. So. I do. I have made people do that, and they've generally been nice about it. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, I think like my my general approach to this situation is um, is to just 
cry and live a spoiler-free life for myself. You know, like try and uphold, <laughs> yeah. like you know, Kwai Chang okay. Kane, like walk sure. the earth and try to live a spoiler-free life. And but the world and, is not spoiler-free. The world, the is world, full of spoilers. exactly. The world is dark and full it's of spoilers, yeah. and it's it's tough. I mean, I think. Um, you know, I, I still try and live a spoiler-free life, but I, I was much more vigilant and intense about it a few years ago. A good example is uh, like the the Cast of Kings, the podcast about Game of Thrones I host with Joanna Robinson, where like my job on that show is to remain unspoiled, and Joanna's job uh, that she does incredibly well is to be a book reader and tell like kind of give insight from that perspective. And so like I'm supposed to be unspoiled; she's supposed to know everything. And at some point, people have. Uh, direct messaged me or tweeted at me spoilers in an attempt <laughs> at kind of like ruining the dynamic of the show just to like just to fuck with me you know uh, and you just uh, like I realized at some point I just needed to let it go I needed to not be that bothered by it so uh, like from an attitudinal perspective I'm not bothered by it but I still try to avoid spoilers in my own life I just uh-huh. don't like I'm not like religious and you know like yeah. vigilant about it in a way that I used to be. Where if I got spoiled, I'd feel like upset about it for days. Those were dark you know? times, yes, <laughs> uh, years and years ago when I yes. would be like really like hardcore about avoiding the spoilers. Now I still try to avoid the spoilers, but uh, if I get spoiled, I'm not like, well, my life is ruined because, guys, the slash filmcast has already brought so many unspoiled you blessings. You know that it's like, oh, if a movie gets spoiled, whatevs. Like we've already seen. You know, thousands of movies by this point. Like, it's cool. Um, yeah. It's rare that there's a giant spoiler like Console Dying or something. Like, most <laughs> movies don't have things like that. So that's why I'm generally okay about it. Um, I have but, to say, though, to but, play devil's advocate a little, we don't know how John B. was uh, professing his anti-spoiler dim. You know, like, if... Uh, if he was being really, really loud about it and just, like, being like, guys, guys, you, nobody can talk about Star Wars around me, Okay. And that really started to affect. His if he was basically behaving like Jeff Kanata, you're exactly. saying, right? Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> then that yeah. might have been so obnoxious. That's provocation. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that people, someone against. had no choice but to spoil yes. John B. Yeah, to show to put him in his place. See, yeah, I, I, so unsurprisingly, I take the opposite opinion <laughs> that uh, when you when you create a an entire persona. That that is so anti-spoiler. I think it it permeates uh, everyone's knowledge base about you, and you become you become you become known as the guy that uh, yeah. shouldn't be spoiled. And, and that so, invites attacks, though. That, well, that, that, maybe from yeah. assholes, <laughs> but, but but from from people caring people, there there are no mistakes because people are like, oh, I you know the one thing I know about that guy is that he probably doesn't want me to talk about the trailer. So, so to summarize, I, I guess my recommendation to John B. would be like continue doing what you're doing. Continue trying to live a life uh, unsullied. Continue basically mm-hmm. removing any noise uh, that might be spoilery from your vicinity. Uh, it, you know, the other day I went to a critic screening of this amazing movie called Moonlight, which I think we might talk about later on the mm-hmm. show. Yeah. And uh, before the show started, I, these critics behind me started talking about Birth of a Nation. I had not seen it yet. They started talking about spoilers. Oh, that's what? the worst, dude. It happens all the time. Yeah. Critics yeah. in a critic screening talking about the other movie they just saw the day yeah. before that you haven't seen yet. Yeah. So I just yeah. – in that situation, I put on my headphones, blasted some music. I did, not go, and con- I did not go and confront these people uh, because it's like, hey, I should have I seen Birth of a Nation. I should have been at that screening or whatever. Like I don't want to interfere with the conversation. Yeah. That's uh, also a very different situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, – I'm just providing an example of how I try to like – 
optimize my surroundings to avoid spoilers, and I try not to interfere with other people. That being said, this is direct provocation on John B. And so in this case, removing something from your vicinity is like confronting your friend and or getting them out of your life if they won't but respect your So your suggestion, Dave, is to wait until the movie and the whole project is done. Yes. Actually, do you think like, yeah, people are in our lives and we can't always like – I think you can have an adult conversation about this without, like, saying, oh, man, you, you really offended your friend for calling him out on this thing, and now he's not going to be EP on your movie or something. You can have things saying, hey, that's not cool. Let's not do that again, please. Let, like let's go, yeah, I mean, Devinger, you bring up a good point, which is, firstly, you're like Gene Hackman in Crimson Tide. You can't just <laughs> go confronting people about spoilers when everything's hunky-dory. This is a right. ship of war. Uh, yes. and By so, the way, the end of Crimson Tide is... <laughs> So uh, so that's one thing to consider. And the other thing, uh, Devinger, that you point out that I think is very astute or that makes me think of is if this person can't handle being confronted, should they really be an EP on your film? You know, like if they don't have the maturity to handle this kind of conversation, yeah, there, should you be that. entrusting them with the keys to the kingdom? I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, so I, I generally like to treat people like adults. So, and then if they behave, you know, badly because of that, then yeah, then okay, this is then not worth that you slowly seduce their wife. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Kanata, yeah. final realistic advice on this uh, slash film court email. Uh, I mean, I think I think you could. I think he should have um, uh, confronted immediately after. Like that was such a dick move, dude. You, you literally ruined the movie for me. Ha, 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 yeah, I did. I ruined the movie for you. Okay, now that I've, I've expressed myself and you think it's hilarious, now I start plotting my revenge. <laughs> and, and the revenge can be, can be you know, exactly. yeah. in kind. It can, can be, be tomorrow. It could be next year. Mess something up of, that you really wanted to be nice. So uh, maybe I spoil something for you or maybe uh, – Maybe I plot something that happens in the in the course of our day on the movie. Maybe uh, there's an accident. <laughs> you know, uh, I think it was was it Gandhi that said, "An eye for an eye makes the whole world go blind." Yeah. Have you learned nothing from? And where uh, is he now? Have you learned Jack, nothing from escalating revenge films, Jeff? Have you have you seen I Saw the Devil? Have you seen Seven Days? Have you seen any of these revenge movies where things don't go well for the person taking revenge? Yeah, I think everything worked out well in Old Boy. Okay. Uh, spoilers <laughs> for the end of all revenge films, Dave. <laughs> Uh, okay, Jeff. Since um, you're the you're the uh, minority voting member in this situation, I think the word of the slash film court is, according to me and Devinger, two v one. Confront your friend. Do not plot revenge. Handle <laughs> things like an adult. Uh, and if that doesn't work, then maybe do what Jeff's saying uh, as a last resort. I, hey, I just pick it up on what Devinger put down. You know, slowly seduce. All right, well, that is the word of the Slash Film Court, and uh, it is final. John B., let us know how things go. And actually, you know, this is something uh, that I would like is if we have ruled in your case in the Slash Film Court, uh, please do email us. Let us know how it went. Did you follow our advice? You know, what happened? Uh, I I love, by the way, that this guy um, has established a new titling system for the slash film core. I, I think this should now be known as John B V middle finger emoji. Yes. You know, like, yes, yeah. yes, for sure. But yeah, email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com uh, and let us know your movie related dilemmas or let us know what happened after we ruled on your movie related dilemmas. Uh, we'd love to hear if uh, the slash film court is in fact making the world a better place or if, as I suspect, we are doing damage to countless relationships <laughs> uh, and, and marriages. So 
anyway, that's the Slash Home Court this week. Thanks for writing in, as usual. What we have been watching. Devendra Hardware, you've been binging on some Netflix, have you not? Yeah, there's so much good stuff. Uh, I saw the uh, the Amanda Knox documentary that uh, a lot of people have been talking about, directed by Rod Blackers and Brian McGinn. And uh, this... This is kind of a weird thing because it just basically goes over the whole Amanda Knox, uh, the trial and everything that happened there. But it's interesting because they got her on camera. They got the lead investigator on camera and uh, one of the like lead, um, one of the like main tabloid journalists who uh, helped promote the story and the insanity around it, too. And I uh, have to say, this thing is just fascinating. Uh, I mostly ignored the story when it was actually happening because it did feel like a weird media free-for-all. Like, people were just going insane over the story. It's like, oh, my God, this young girl, she, she maybe killed her roommate in a sex game. It's yeah. madness. So, so uh, for, those, for, for those who have no idea about Amanda Knox, uh, basically an American exchange student from Seattle. Right, right down the street yeah. from where I'm broadcasting. She lives right, right now. near you, Dave. Yeah, uh, she might be in this house right now. <laughs> and uh, she was in college, went to uh, Italy uh, on an exchange trip, and her roommate, who was another exchange student from the UK, wound up dead. Uh, and apparently a torture murder situation. Yeah, vicious. Um, thing. Yeah, crazy. vicious, vicious murder that was horrible. Uh, a lot of people thought that because of Amanda Knox's like erratic behavior. Uh, that she was guilty of this, and it it's was weird. It, it actually reminded me very much of um, Errol Morris's film Tabloid, uh-huh. which is similar in in well, similar in terms of like the press coverage, not in terms of the crime that happened. No one killed anyone in Tabloid, uh, but uh, it, also in terms of the style and the music, and uh, you know even how the interviews were filmed is very similar to Errol Morris's Tabloid, which I think um, is in some ways a better film, but. Devinder, yeah. what did you think of uh, Amanda Knox? I, I thought this was just a fascinating film because it does dive into, I think, a lot of the things I had issues with as the story was going on. Um, you know, Amanda Knox was, uh, she was, she was in jail for at least four years while they were like going back and forth on appeals and everything, but, and her boyfriend as well. So this thing kind of lasted a while and it goes into, I think, more of the thought process of the investigator who is kind of a crazy person. And it's weird how seeing his ideas, like this is a guy who says he liked uh, Sherlock Holmes novels and everything. He kind of fashioned himself one of those little detectives, those, uh, you know, fantasy detectives or something. And everything he says, like his conclusions about her behavior and how this went down just seem insane, like complete madness. But they were in such a rush to find somebody guilty for the shocking murder because it's a pretty quiet town in Italy. And uh, the press wanted to blame somebody, too, and the story of Amanda Knox doing it. Basically, uh, I, I did, even before I started, you know, I was on the side of thinking that she was pretty innocent, just seeing the evidence we had before. And I think this movie kind of makes that case clear. I guess the main problem with this is that it definitely takes her side and is just trying to uh, point out more of the insanity of the situation and her innocence, too. Like, the press also did nothing. Like, they just repeated the crazier and crazier theories that the investigator was pointing out, too. And uh, even to this day, it seems like the investigator thinks she did it based on nothing, based on random behaviors and how she responds to things, uh, even though people don't respond rationally in tense and crazy situations. So that just kind of pissed me off. Um, But, yeah, it was a fascinating film to watch, for sure. So uh, I also saw Amanda Knox on Netflix, uh, and I was very disappointed with the film. I I did not think it was uh, an in-depth exploration of this case at all. Uh, I I will say that, to its credit, the major coup 
yeah. that these filmmakers pulled off was getting an in-depth interview with Amanda Knox herself. Apparently it, it took like two years to convince her to do yeah. it, too. And an in-depth interview with the principal investigator in the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is just – so on that level alone, it may be worth checking out if you're yeah. like Amanda Knox completist. But other than that, I think you know, you're right, Devendra. It clearly takes her side. It does not at all seem even-handed. And, but I, do, I don't think – like by the end of that case, though, I don't think you could make a clear case for saying that she's guilty. Or at least a logical. Well, point. yeah, but my point is that yeah. the case, like the movie, clearly makes it so that that's what you think. And uh, I'm like, you know, as an example, take making a murderer. Okay, mm-hmm. uh, I think there were two to three entire one-hour episodes of just the court case. Right, like yeah. is just showing you footage from the court case. Um, apparently, the court case in the Amanda Knox trial took one year, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like O.J. Simpson was nine months. So yeah. the Amanda yeah. Knox case took one year. That whole thing, the court case in the movie happens in five minutes. Like it's, you, there's so little information about it that is conveyed to the audience. It just feels incredibly biased and not at all a deep exploration of even the ideas that it purports to explore. Like the media coverage around Amanda Knox or her the, the true nature of her guilt or what happened that night. Um, it felt like there was just a lot of gaps that this documentary did mm-hmm. not fill in. Uh, and I would say, like, you know, for me, I read a bunch of articles about the Amanda Knox case uh, when it was happening. And if you've done the same, if you follow pretty closely, I don't think this documentary will add that much new to your understanding. I mean, it. I but mean, like you said, like getting those uh, those interviews after the fact, like several yeah, years like, again, like this, I said, to the, that, that is to their credit. And if yeah. that's what you want to see, fine. But I would not go into this like expecting uh, to, to have like a deeper understanding of like, why, why is it that the media does this kind of stuff? Or like, you know, there is some awesome, <laughs> very uh self-incriminating journalist <laughs> that is in the movie i think uh, that's it that's like putting the camera at them at that journalist uh, nick pisa i think yeah. and uh, the investigator and letting them talk and just letting them like tie their own like rope around their neck i think this movie successfully does that because they both say incriminating and damning things my favorite thing about this movie is that one of the lawyers does get in an incredibly sick burn on the American justice system, uh, where <laughs> yep, yep. basically, uh, Jeff, did you follow the Amanda Knox case at all? Or was this something that was on your radar, Jeff Kanata? Not really, no. I, okay. I, yeah. So yeah. Uh, basically, like, the, the perception from the American media when this was going down was, oh, these, like, small-town Italians, uh, uh, these small-town policemen, they don't know what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. they, they've completely ruined this whole case. That's why it's being overturned on appeal, blah, blah, blah. Uh and it was a very condescending attitude that American media had towards uh, towards the Italian government, the Italian justice system. And one of the lawyers uh, in the case, who's Italian, says in an interview, uh, "Like how, like how dare uh, Americans, you know, criticize this case, which is taking place in a courtroom that has been standing since 1308? Do you know what was going on in America in 1308? People were making." Paintings of buffaloes in caves okay. in 1308. Which is like, – so you like that as like a slam on America? Because that seems more like an example of Italian elitism and not seeing the problem of their own system right now. OK. Well, I'm glad that the movie thoroughly <laughs> convinced you of uh, of how terrible the Italian justice system is. But my point I'm, is – I'm, like, I'm just saying it points out severe issues. And when I, your lead investigator is making shit up out of thin air and he, he still believes it to this day – 
with no evidence. And like the, they did screw up the evidence. They screwed up the evidence collection and a whole bunch of things. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Yeah. I, I'm saying like my, my whole point since the, I started talking about this movie is that this movie is very in favor of Amanda Knox. You have admitted to not having read that much during the case. So I'm saying like I don't think it's as clear cut and dry as like these people are incompetent, um, which the, I think the movie does make it seem like they but are. But wasn't that so. the, the ultimate outcome of the case though? Yeah. Like the, the uh, evidence. Yeah. But I'm saying, but I'm saying, like it doesn't tell. Like I don't think it does a good job of telling the other side of the story because I think there's there's much more at play than just these people were stupid, sure. which is what I the mean, movie I did makes read you feel some like. Some about it. I didn't follow it like day to day, but I kind of knew the basics of the case. And I I don't know. Like there, there, there was I, a lot of there was a lot of pressure to find yeah. a kill, like who the killer was, right? And, I think and that's like in the movie, too. I don't I don't agree. Um, yeah. But so we have differing opinions on this film. Devinder really liked it. I thought it was nothing more than a surface level examination of this case. Uh, but if you, if any, our conversation sounds interesting to you, I uh, recommend you go check it out. So I, I don't think many like I know it was a th- a story that a lot of people were following. But I guess if you're like me and you were purposely just avoided the tabloid nature of it. This is a really interesting thing. To yeah, watch. yeah. Just yeah, be prepared. Just understand that. that the filmmakers are very biased about this case, which I think is not necessarily a bad thing in most documentaries. So yeah, um, it makes sense here. Yeah. All right, uh, that's Amanda Knox. It's on Netflix. Devinder, what else have you been watching? I also saw Ava DuVernay's new documentary, The Thirteenth, on Netflix, and this one is about. Um, it basically tracks the relationship between the prison system today. And kind of tracks it all the way back to slavery, like the prison system today as something that incarcerates mostly black and brown men uh, as a new form of slavery. And this thing is amazing. And it's actually really interesting to watch, too, like ahead of uh, Birth of a Nation, because I think uh, the film or at least the imagery from the film is invoked there at least once. And uh, it it just it just lays the facts out. It definitely has like a side that's taking like we were talking about with Amanda Knox. But I also think it's a very important thing because it, it tracks the insane rise of prison numbers and the sort of like social structures that kind of made that uh, happen. You know, especially like Ronald Reagan's push to uh, his war on drugs and the way that. I think in very unequal ways uh, harmed black people, especially for things like um, for crack, like crack arrests versus cocaine arrests had been very, very different. And there was a lot of visuals and a lot of imagery in this documentary, but just seeing the numbers rise, seeing the numbers rise in our prison population from decade to decade to decade, it's insane. And I think it lays it all out pretty clearly. So this film is definitely required viewing. And yeah, Ava DuVernay continues to like, just knock it out of the park with whatever she's doing. Like Queen Sugar is fantastic. And, uh, you know, Selma it was a pretty good movie. So, yeah, watch this. Uh, yeah, that's 13th. It's available on Netflix right now. Uh, Ava DuVernay hasn't made very many films, but each one is very different stylistically, I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm really excited about this because I've heard it's incredible. So, yeah. Uh, all right, and you also finished Luke Cage, right, Devendra? I did finish it, and I just want to say, like, I enjoy the show overall. The music is so damn good. The way they kind of – there are different themes for every one of the characters, and they pay so much attention to musical flow in the show, especially compared to the Marvel movies. Uh, I think it's worth watching just for that. But just like all the other Marvel shows, it does kind of lose its way in the second half, and that's kind of sad. I actually – I wonder if at some point they'll just allow – um, shorter, shorter seasons. seasons. Yeah. yeah, if they don't have enough story to fill it, uh, that that'll make the overall experience a lot stronger. Jeff, can I? I think, uh, how far I, into Luke Cage are you? I haven't started yet. I'm okay. I'm looking forward to it very very much, um, but I have not started. I I do hope that Netflix overall 
ex- sort of expands on the Stranger Things model and just makes mm-hmm. like eight episode seasons. I think that would be so really? great. Give the creators the freedom to do whatever they need to do. Like if they have enough story for 13, go for it. Uh, but if not, you know, let's let's try to slim it down because, yeah, this show could have used a bit of fat trimming. Uh, there There is some good stuff there, too. Um, All right. Devin, like, let me ask you this question. Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil. Which one is your favorite? I think Daredevil is my favorite just because that one just speaks to my sensibilities of like I, I like great action movies, guys. I like great choreography. I like bi- big, you know, comic booky superhero stories. But that is definitely not nearly as important a show as either Jessica Jones or Luke Cage. Like Jessica Jones was a really interesting spin on like misogyny as, you know, the main villain and uh, women's place in our culture right now. And uh, Luke Cage is a show built entirely out of the black experience. And I think that's really important. So I do like Daredevil just in terms of something that's fun to watch. And the action's pretty good. Um, you know, but the other shows, I, I can totally admit, are far more important in our overall like pop culture, you know area right now uh, right um so very cool and it sounds like luke cage nonetheless is still a show you really recommend it's still worth watching like yeah. there's some crazy sequences here like every marvel show seems to have a hallway action scene i think uh, daredevil just kind of set that standard in that first season and there's one in this uh in luke cage that is pretty fantastic like you can imagine a guy who's bulletproof and nothing can hurt him just imagine him like tearing through a building and it totally, you know, I think makes good on that. Uh, but there are other sequences later on, especially like a climactic fight scene that I think could have been handled a lot better or with at least a little more imagination. I don't know if they didn't have enough budget to do like a big knockdown drag out fight or something. Uh, but, you know, I would have liked to see it pushed a little further. Uh, but, yeah, the big things here, Mike Coulter, amazing, fantastic. I, I, we need to see him in movies because I've loved this guy since The Good Wife. He's very good. He should be a star. All right. Well, that's Luke Cage. It's on Netflix, and Devinder finished it and recommends. Jeff Kanata, you've been taking in some shows on HBO, have you not? I have indeed. I finally, uh, you know, last week I was hoping to see Westworld before we started recording, but I didn't get a chance to. But I have seen uh, the two episodes that have been released thus far. And, man, I I mean, I'm in 100% on this show. Oh, yeah. Uh, It is so good, so well-made, obviously. You can see the money on the screen that they're spending. Uh, The cast is fantastic. And conceptually, it is right in my wheelhouse, not only because it's really interesting, thought-provoking sci-fi, but because there's so much game theory. Like, you know, as a big video game uh, critic and Mm -hmm. fan and hobbyist, I love the concept of basically a a giant MMO in the real world. This is LARPing on on a grand scale. And, And the ideas of pure game theory like how you yeah. create a a game of that scale i'm so G- curious game, game design theory right, right. Like a game yeah. theory not not like john nash a beautiful mind game theory right. but like right game design principles game design yeah. that's yeah. probably a better way to say it um yeah and, and I, I i sit and watch those episodes and i'm so curious what someone at blizzard for example that works on world of warcraft must think while watching this show because i imagine a lot of the themes and a lot of the concepts are absolutely applicable to actual giant scale video game design right now, you know, and, it, and it's, I find that fascinating and, mm-hmm. and interesting to, uh, to consider even as you're sort of enveloped by the mysteries and drama of, of the television show that, you know, really have nothing to do with that side of it. 
but there's so much to to wonder about and consider when it's like, well, how how did they make this game? What are the rules of this game? How does it all work? And my goodness, would I love to have that thing be a thing? You know, like as disturbing on on several levels as as the concepts are made out to be in the show. It is a pretty awesome idea, like that you can go to this magical land. Not only that, but I have several friends who are high up in a certain <laughs> theme park that will re- remain nameless, but there's one in Florida and one in LA. Mm. And they're doing this. This is what they're, I mean, they're using human beings, not robots, but these are the concepts that Disneyland is going for. Oh, wait, did I say remain nameless? Oops. Uh, these are the concepts that that they are working on. They're they're, they're actively designing experiences where uh, visitors to the park will go to a certain land, and then a story will envelop them, and they will be like they will be. It's an improvisation that's built around story beats with actors mm-hmm. that know specific information about those people because those people signed up for this and take them from place to place and give them adventures and let them make decisions. Those are things that they're building right now, obviously not with robots, but it's a really fascinating concept. And to see the show embrace that and sort of be about video games that the um, creators of the show have actively referenced, you know, Red Dead Redemption and Bioshock and these great games. So uh, that to me is like a whole other level of appreciation and, and enjoyment that I'm getting out of the show. Yeah, I, I, I like the first episode, but the second episode, I think, really, like, drives it home, like, what this show is yeah. trying to do. And a lot of the criticisms, too, like, there is there is a lot of violence towards women in the first episode, and that continues even in the second. But I think it's becoming clear what the show is trying to do is to, it's at least trying to comment on that in a way more so than, like, Game of Thrones ever did. So it's talking about, um, you know, building a narrative. It's talking about games and it's talking about, like in a weird way, like what we would do, you know, in this situation, like where we are completely uninhibited, uh, it's kind of terrifying. If you think about it, if you look at what people do in online worlds yeah, already. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Jeff, I mean, you're, you're describing it in very grandiose terms, but really they built this world so people could get a thrill from killing people. Killing uh, and, or have, and from having... Or not. Yeah, or, or not. Or not. I mean, what do you, what do you do, how do you describe uh, World of Warcraft? Do you not get a thrill from killing things? It, how do you describe any first-person shooter video game? Right, do you not right. get a thrill from killing things? Uh, you you are given the option in Westworld, theoretically, to be a hero yeah. or a villain. White right? hat or black hat. I can't Exactly. Like and and w- the characters that we're seeing often are choosing the darker path. But the game itself was built to allow whatever you want to have happen, right? And I think that's kind of the commentary. The Ed Harris character Oh, yeah, he has is- a great line in the second episode where he says, you know, uh, I'm paraphrasing and butchering it here, but he basically says, like, the reason people like coming here to Westworld is because, like, outside the external world, it's all chaos. But in here, everything adds up. Like, everything has a purpose. Isn't that... I think that speaks exactly to one of the things I love about video games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a I, – I have said many, many times on my video game podcast, what I lo- one of the things I love most uh, or the kinds of games that I love most are the ones where I'm exploring a virtual world created by artists. This is a world that was put together with intelligence and specific meaning behind everything. You know, if I, if I venture off the beaten path, there's something waiting for me. Oh my gosh, there's a chest 
hidden in that cave. In the real world, I go, I find it, you know, the, the real world is a lot like uh, No Man's Sky, right? You go to a cave, it's just more cave. It's just, it's just, it <laughs> was just created. Grind through it, yeah. Right, it was just an algorithm. And what's, what's wonderful about video games that have been designed by human minds is that things are rewarded because everything was put there specifically, right? And that's kind of what Ed Harris's character is talking about. But the reason I brought up Ed Harris's character is that I think in a lot of ways he very much represents that min-maxer, that sort of uh, scary version of the video gamer who just wants to break it. Yeah. Right, he just wants to. How do you push defeat that which has no life? I don't know. Right. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think it's going to be really interesting to see what his end game is. Uh, and I think also it's a very interesting juxtaposition between this and Ready Player One. Right, they're they're two sides of a very similar coin. Uh, I think this is kind of looking at the darker side of those motivations, but very there very easily could be a show that takes place in Westworld with a bunch of people being heroes. You know, like that could very well be happening at the same time. Really cool. uh, I'll say a, a couple things about Westworld. Firstly, uh, I actually had a chance to see the Westworld original movie uh, on which the series is based with Michael Crichton uh, writing and directing. Uh, any of you guys seen the original film? No. Yeah, I'm not, not a big fan. Not a great movie. Not, good. not a great movie. It, it is a combination of like Jurassic Park and uh, The Terminator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the man in black, who's played by Ed Harris in the, in the show, is basically like a malfunctioning robot in the original film who goes haywire and just starts – like the last half of the film is just this guy terrorizing everyone. Uh, and I, I would say that um, – firstly, it made me even more impressed with the show because of how immersive the show is and how like uh, how realistic the world feels even though you know it's impossible like – these androids, they all look, they feel like they would, like the way they act and the way they were diagnosed and all that stuff, all that stuff is awesome. Um, but it felt like I was seeing, you know, kind of a, a, like a precursor to things that would become uh, great later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the man in black is basically Terminator, you know what I mean? Uh, and uh, yeah, there are a lot of good ideas it, in that movie. Was, yeah, it was probably, was probably a great, uh, was probably a great inspiration. For Terminator yeah. is my mm-hmm. is my guess, um, and uh, you know the Jurassic World, the Jurassic Park element of like this being a huge theme park that malfunctions. Uh, he would later refine that idea um, to great acclaim and massive success with Jurassic Park. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just it, it's kind of like John Carter, you know, like it's a thing that okay. If I had seen this, you know, 20 years ago, it might have been revelatory. But looking back on it now, it's pretty rough. I mean, it looks kind of low budget. Uh, some of the acting is just terrible. Uh, and th- those same ideas would get refined a lot later. But it was just a very fascinating experience to watch that film. Um, so if nothing, it's an interesting curiosity. I'd also say um, I am uh, reviewing every episode of Westworld on a new podcast I have with John Robinson, decodingwestworld.com. Uh, would love to get one of you guys on it at some point. So yeah, um, let's do it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Anyway, that's Westworld. It's on HBO. It's probably you know the most buzzed about show on television right now. I hope it all makes sense in the end, guys. I hope they don't uh, ruin all these promising storylines. Uh, what else have you been watching on HBO, Jeff? I checked out the the pilot for Divorce. Uh, there's a several uh, early access stuff that you can watch on HBO Go or HBO Now. Uh, and Divorce is a star-studded pilot uh, centered around Sarah Jessica Parker 
and Molly Shannon as a couple of middle-aged women friends who are in marriages that are waning, uh, stale marriages, uh, and then a, a birth, the 50th birthday party for the Molly Shannon character erupts into chaos, causing uh, Sarah Jessica Parker to think she wants to get a divorce. Uh, Jermaine Clement is in this. I, I hope he's in more than just the pilot. I, there's a chance well, that his character won't be back. Here, um, here's my question for you, Jeff. The, the show title is called Divorce. Yeah. That is an incredibly depressing thing to, <laughs> think, like a to think about and contemplate. It is. Right? So it is. It do, does it, like, it's not a thing where I like, sit down after a long weekend and I'm like, okay, got to figure out how to get my mind off of work tomorrow. Right. Uh, let's turn on Divorce, the show. Uh, so I have it no motivation. Yeah, I have no motivation. Dark. <laughs> I have no motivation to do that. Do you think the show is good enough to justify my interest in it, given how depressing it might be? Definitely. Yeah, it is extremely dark, very dark, mean. It is a mean show, but so funny. Oh, my gosh. It's mean, but very funny. Uh, I think the performances are – I mean, these are – it's star-studded. It's, it's, um, it's really well made. It is dark. I mean, I watched <laughs> it with my wife. And, you know, we just had our kid – uh, we, I've been only married two years, constantly reaching over and grabbing her hand and going, never let that be us. Can we never, can we promise that we'll never be us doing that? <laughs> See what they're doing right there. Don't ever, let's never do that. Um, but darkly funny. I mean, it is, it is really, really biting. Uh, and I found it to be very entertaining and funny. It has a, the pilot is, has an incredible cool flow, especially because it has that title and you see like – you're like, is somebody getting divorced at some point in this? Uh, and it ends with a wallop. Uh, really, really has a spine, uh, a very wicked spine. Well, it's from the creative catastrophe, right? So I, yeah. she explores terrible people in really interesting ways. So yeah. I'm down yeah. with that. Catastrophe on Amazon, another great show. But Divorce on HBO sounds like Jeff Kanata is a fan. Uh, I will check it out, Jeff. And uh, finally, you have some beef with me, Jeff Kanata. Well, <laughs> we got our own slash film core we got to do on us today. Yeah, that's very true. I have uh, a case that I'd like to submit for the court, uh, although I think I already know how the ruling is going to go down. <laughs> um, so my situation is such that uh, most of my viewing at this point, because fresh baby in-house, uh, is going to be with my wife. My wife and I are going to watch things together while the baby is napping or after he's gone down in the, in the late at night. So – I it's important to me that the things that I uh, watch I can watch with her, and that we can both be in on it. Because if she's not into, that's kind of the kind of the reason I we haven't I haven't really started Luke Cage yet. It's because you know she's not into the superheroes as much as I am, and I kind of have to carve out my own time for that. Which isn't a complaint; it's just the situation. Um, so having heard both of you guys with high praise for high maintenance over the last couple of episodes, I was very excited and I had heard you guys talk about what a different, uh, unconventional, weird show it is. And so I texted Dave and said, hey, tell me which episode – because I knew you'd said it's sort of each episode standalone and you can watch them in any order or whatever. I said, which episode do I start with to ensure that my wife – and I will want to continue. <laughs> now, let me stop you right it. there. Let me stop you right there, Jeff, and say yeah. that 
No parameters were set about what Jeff's wife would enjoy. But what, what, uh, what was the, t- the text that you received, Dave? Did it say? No, no, sure it was. It, it was like what? Watching? It was like what Jeff said. It was. Yeah, it was very yeah. similar to what Jeff said. But okay, but I don't know. Right. But maybe Jeff's wife likes incredibly transcendently depressing I shows. Think, yeah, I don't that's know. enough about Jeff's viewing habits where I, I would not recommend that to his wife. I guess. Yeah, yeah. we watch the most depressing. Parenthood, and we're looking for a new Parenthood type show, Dave. <laughs> By the way, when you text your friend and you say, what, what will ensure that my wife and I will start? You don't go – you don't interpret that as, boy, I better find the most depressingly dark thing because I'm sure that's what she's into. Well, I, I think – OK. So, Dave, you recommended the – I recommended episode. the pilot on HBO, the first episode on HBO, which is 30 minutes long. Yeah. Uh, and, I, I mean, Jeff, were you not entertained? And by entertained, I mean made incredibly <laughs> sad. Horrified. <laughs> it, it's it, it's, uh, it's it was rough. You know, uh, okay, okay, did you at least did you at least think it was well made, despite yeah, how definitely well how hor- horribly depressing it was? I was interested in it. So the first episode is like two vignettes, and they both involve horrible people that are yelling a lot at each other. Uh, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that per se. My issue to you, which is why I brought this up before we started recording, is it's like somebody saying to me, hey, Jeff, <laughs> recommend to me an episode of Black Mirror to start with right. so that my wife and I are not turned off of it. I'm not going to recommend the first episode of the, the Having Sex with a Pig, that one. I'm not going to represent recommend Pig Fucker episode. I'm just not. <laughs> I'm going to say you work up to Pig Fucker episode. It's a good episode, but don't start there. Right, right, right. That's all I, I was asking. I can see the complaint here because uh, you had some other episodes of High Maintenance available. I think the second one is fundamentally different and a lot of fun. And the third one, which centers around a dog, is kind of transcendent. Yeah, yeah, the third so. one is transcendent. I wanted to recommend episode three, but the problem with episode three is it is so different than the other episodes. I didn't think they could. you could get a good sense of the show right, from it. Right. So, um, so I was like, hey, you know, it's not like – by the way, and I should also point out, Jeffrey, that it's not like <laughs> – Show creators aren't doing work to sequence their episodes. You know what I mean? It's not like <laughs> it's not like the person who made High Maintenance is th- is not thinking about how, what episode you should watch first. You know they they've put them in that order for a reason. So I, I know, but I, <laughs> I ask what happens you. when you ask Dave. Dave will give you the the logical. Well, you know, sorry for deferring answer. to the creator, guys. Sorry, <laughs> sorry for the like subscribing to the, the idea that you know a creator might. Have some Dave, say. I, there's literally a numbered system, and I went, "Hmm, do I start with the beginning of this number system, like the creator wanted me to, or do I ask my friend Dave, to, to, who has experience and knows me and knows what I'm asking, to give his opinion?" And what Dave goes is, "No, there's a numbered system." Well, that- you know what, Jeff? Let me say this. <laughs> Firstly, I am very sorry that I've lost your trust, and I will do whatever I can to earn it back. And I the second Devendra, thing, I think I should have texted Vindra. The second but you were thing, the last one I, I heard talking about it, so I texted you. And the second thing I'll say is uh, just that I think you know I I totally am willing to accept some of the blame uh, in this fiasco, <laughs> but I also think that uh, you should have been a little more clear about the. Um, you know what? Here's here's the thing: when when my, my significant other and I are talking about what to watch, uh, I'll often say, you know, what what emotions are you are you looking to feel you know and then she'll say oh i want something like light and funny i'll be like okay well let's not watch a zodiac then right. you know let's watch um 
party down or something. Um, I mean, so I think I think you just need to be a little more clear. You need to be a little more clear about what emotions you are shooting for. <laughs> I think I think you can figure it out, Dave. <laughs> well, Jeff, read the room, Chen. Jeff. <laughs> I mean, you know, um, agree to disagree. So <laughs> okay, all right. Fair enough. Well, I'm sorry I let you down. Um, right. what, what was the fallout? Like, did you, well, what, the what did end, your wife say? The end of the episode, uh, she was like, we, we could watch another one of those if you want. <laughs> I don't want to feel this way right now. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, let's, well, then we watched yeah. the divorce pilot and we both laughed and held hands. <laughs> well, that <laughs> so, sounds even more depressing and worse. Yeah, so you're Jeff, very like, uh, to me, Jeff. How you're dare you confused. accuse me when you're watching a show called Divorce? <laughs> well, I don't know. That was an easier sell because Sarah Jessica Parker, you know? Yeah. Divorce is like what happens after Sex in the City. It's like the darker, sadder. We all assume it happened, yeah. Yeah. I see. All right. Well, again, I do, I do feel bad. Because, you know, here's the thing that I actually I legitimately feel bad about this because Jeff doesn't, like, text me asking for my viewing advice frequently, you know? <laughs> like, most of the viewing advice I dispense to yep. Jeff is on the podcast. So, yeah. Well, I would just like to point out that in the last month <laughs> – Devendra has recommended something, and it was a complete home run. Like the he 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 recommended that I watch Sing Street, and it was like the sky parted, and he was it was oh, a per, sure. the perfect thing to watch in that given moment. And then and then we have Dave's recommendation. <laughs> well, we all want okay. to watch uh, the uh, the. Uh, I, I am I, I'm firstly I'm really upset about what you just said, Jeff. <laughs> but I will say, you know what? You know what makes that. You know, deep insult go down a lot smoother. <laughs> the fact that you guys are going to be watching Gods of Egypt after the summer movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, that will definitely yeah. make it better. <laughs> you're really, you're really selling your case here, Dave. In terms of being a good recommender. To be fair, to be okay. C- come on, Devendra, back me up here. Uh, the first episode of High Maintenance is awesome, right? It's it's pretty good. It is very like I also watched it with my wife, and she was not into it. But we, I kept watching, and then I brought her to the dog episode, and then we went back to the second episode. Which I think is uh, like a nice, a really interesting story, and also Dan Stevens is kind of funny in that one too. So like, yeah, I, I kind of had to cater the show to her a little. But about, the, say, about the time all... that the guy, the guy mm-hmm. tried crystal meth, was when she turned to me and she's like, "I don't know about this." And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah." It's really yeah. the ending of that episode. That's why you're watching. Yeah. It oh, you're, oh, oh, so shit. it's so good. Oh. Yeah. I still, so I, I love the so, show. I love the show. So yeah. sorry that you didn't get. As much out of it, Jeff. You know, here's my only request, okay? After you've seen Gods of Egypt and acknowledge how brilliant it is, just give me one more chance to make it up to you. That's all I ask. I will always give you more chances. Oh, thanks, Jeff. I appreciate that. We should all be blamed, too, for recommending The Light Between Oceans for you, Jeff, because I didn't know you'd be bringing your wife to that. (laughs) Okay, guys, I'm sensing a pattern here of Jeff not... Uh, notifying clear, us Jeff. about like wife-related movie activities. Okay, first <laughs> he doesn't assume, tell us. He, assume she will always be there. <laughs> assume okay. Assume the wife's going to be there, and assume that she always wants to feel happy after the movie. Is that is that uh, right? No, 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 no. I, <laughs> she loved *Light Between Oceans*. We both did. We both loved it. It was just hard. It was just, just a harsh to watch. Yeah. 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 Uh, but uh, you know, in theatrical experiences, basically, I she will never get to come with me again because mm-hmm. uh, we have a child now. So. Uh, it will be years. Not before. again. Yeah, it'll be probably like a good decade, and then you'll be able to yeah. go see movies together yeah. again. So, yeah, good times. But television has become even more important, right? Thusly, right. Yeah. right, because yeah. she can't go out to the movies anymore uh, with me. So, uh, t- television is is has added a, a sense of uh, 
imperative, which is why one turns to his trusted friends for advice. <laughs> I, I mean, I do, I do feel a little bad about it, but only a little bad. Um, <laughs> but now, hey, Jeff, you know what? Life is all about living and learning, and now I know your wife doesn't want to watch incredibly disturbing episodes about horrible people. And so now, like, I got it. All right? Okay. I got it. Fair enough. Um, okay. Do me a favor. Check out episode three. See what you think of it. And, uh, and if, if that doesn't work, then give me one more chance. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Will do. All right. Let's move on. Before we get to uh, the review of Birth of a Nation, we've got to thank all the people that donated to the Slash Filmcast this week. Uh, we got uh, a bunch of donors, including... Corbin R. from Tempe, Arizona, uh, putting in a huge donation and also subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. Crazy, Corbin. Thank Aww. you so much for supporting us. Torgear, H. from Norway, Mike S. from London, and Johnny K. from Finland, or Yanni K., J-A-A-N-I. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, thank you so much for your contributions. Thanks also to Joshua Grek and Theodore Spencer for subscribing at the rate of $2 per month. If you want to support this podcast, help us defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show, Go to SlashFilm.com, click on the SlashFilmCast tab, and use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Thanks so much, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Let's get to our review of The Birth of a Nation. You're a child of God. You got purpose. The law put it there, and nobody can take it away. These books are for white folks. They're full of things your kind wouldn't understand. You're a special boy, Nathaniel. Study hard here. Your slaves sure do know how to behave. Well, they God, Finn. One of them's a preacher. People might pay good money to have them calm down a bit, especially by one of their own. I lead you to Peter 2.18. Submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. That was from the trailer of The Birth of a Nation, the newest film by uh, writer-director Nate Parker. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. Uh, Nat Turner, a literate slave and preacher in the antebellum South, orchestrates an uprising. Uh, now, this movie has been embroiled in a lot of controversy, and we're going to get to all that. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we get to it, you know, let's talk about the movie itself. Uh, this movie debuted to rapturous reviews. I think it won the Audience Award at Sundance, and a bidding war ensued. Yeah. Driving the price up to yeah, $17.5 million. Yeah. Netflix actually offered $20 million, uh, but it was turned down because I think uh, the filmmakers, the producers wanted uh, not only theatrical release, but like a pretty big awards campaign for this movie. Mm-hmm. A lot of that is going to be problematic given all the controversy that the film has endured in the last year. Uh, but, you know, it's the highest sale at Sundance. Now, it may be easy to forget kind of what the atmosphere was back then. But if you'll recall, let me, let me take you back to about 12 months ago when this movie sold. Hashtag Oscar So White was a thing. A situation where I, I don't think there was a single uh, actor of color nominated for any of the acting awards at the Oscar that, uh, Oscars that year, uh, which was very bad. Uh, and uh, I think these kinds of movies are not typically made in the studio system. So when one like this comes along, Fox Searchlight, Netflix, I think, oh, hey, here's a movie that uh, speaks to kind of the zeitgeist. It's, you know, it has, it's a movie made by a person of color. uh, And also at that time, Fox Searchlight 
had no movies with people of color in them on their slate right. for the yeah. year. Yeah, so so there is a lot of kind of uh, pressure, I think, and but also just like, hey, this is an opportunity, a potential business opportunity to uh, invest in something that could be a big hit later on in 2016. Uh, and so... It was easy to. It's easy looking back for me to see that. Like I understand why the price was driven that high. The movie itself was only produced for about eight million dollars. So even with the acquisition, um, everyone from that deal is going to do very well. My question for you, Jeff Kanata, is: Do you feel like watching it now in October of 2016? You know, do you feel like all that hullabaloo, all that buzz, all that high bidding was worth it? Well, it's. I mean, it's. Uh... <laughs> Demonstrably not worth it because the movie opened to seven million dollars at the box office. So it, I mean, it was a it's a it's a bomb. Uh, if you're talking just financially, yeah, if you're talking I mean, I think it's probably going to be like okay. It probably will be a wash. You know, they wanted it to be a hit. You know, but well, they wanted it to not only be a hit but also be an Oscar contender. It right. clearly will not get that push. You think so? Uh, you think I, I think it might still get the no push. Way. You don't think it's going to be all right? Well, we'll, we'll see. I, I think a because no one's seeing it, and b because of the controversy surrounding it. I yeah. think they're going to whatever marketing that they were going to put into it has been drastically cut, if any at all. Uh, that's I don't know that for a fact, but I I suspect that's the that's case. your guess as to what's going to happen. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but artistically, I, I was I was really moved by this film. I I thought it was uh, extraordinarily well made for eight million dollars. What's on the screen is is absolutely astounding, uh, and <clears throat> I really was very impressed with the film. Really moved by it. Uh, really taken with the with the characters and the situation, and um, and then I came home <laughs> and started reading up about the historical truth of it, and found out that it's pretty much not accurate. Yeah, I mean, we, let's let's put aside uh, the historical accuracy as well. I think, like, yeah. well, but that's my question: is right. is like, what's the job of this movie? Right. right, right. If this if the job of this movie is to create a parable that is loosely based on history that affects me. Then I think it is a smashing success. I yeah. think this movie is extraordinary, and I think most like movies many biopics. That, that's how right. they, they kind of go. Most yeah. movies that are that are uh, historically based are only vaguely so. <laughs> you know, they they are loosely based on history, and and th- and that's what we've come to expect. But if the job of this movie is sort of to right a wrong, is sort of to correct the previous birth of the na- of the nation film that D.W. Griffiths created in 1918 or whatever it was and sort of you know establish a a a better truth of what how this all went down this this historical moment went down then i think it kind of fails right based on what i've read about the factual accuracy of the film it, it doesn't do that and i also kind of feel a little bummed out about that because you want to champion this as a as a correction to history as a as a a, under, a better understanding I wanted to come out of it with a better understanding of this moment and I felt like I did until I started reading about it right yeah. and, and and that's a bummer but that doesn't take away from the empathy I felt the the journey that I went on throughout the film that I found very affecting and really well orchestrated i mean it's a it's it's basically braveheart for yeah. african americans if you'll allow me to use the term slaveheart you totally stepped all that. over the wow. boom goes the dynamite joke i was going to do 
in uh, after the spoiler section, Jeff. But you know, uh, good job, all good job, good. all good. Yeah, I, yeah. it was bravo, it. bravo. It was Jeff. worth it for Slaveheart. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about Slaveheart. That sounds uh, sounds wrong. <laughs> um, I can't be the first one that's called it Slaveheart, right? I think I'm you, sure. I think you are. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, I I I really liked the movie, and even separating the sort of controversy that we'll get to later. I also feel conflicted. I mean, I feel conflicted because of the controversy, but I also feel conflicted because of its historical place and veracity, um, which I think maybe unfairly, but I feel like this movie has a little bit greater responsibility than just a general biopic does. I think right. that because of what it's attempting to do, you know. Uh, Devinder Hardware, your thoughts on The Birth of a Nation? <laughs> Yeah, I really liked it overall. Um, yeah, we'll get to, I guess, the more conflicting thoughts later. But Nate Parker, you know, up until now, up until all this news came out, is a guy that I've liked as an actor and as an artist. Uh, he was fantastic in Beyond the Lights a couple of years ago, which is a movie you guys should see. I think you will love that, Jeff, uh, you and your wife. That's that's a great couple-friendly movie. Um, Thank you, trusted one, recommender. Oh, yeah, so I sad. think you'll dig it. So it's a crowd-pleaser. <laughs> Uh, but this movie, um, it is pretty much what you'd expect, right? They, it goes through a lot of the motions of what we expect, I guess, from slave movies. And it's been criticized for that, too, because it does feel like at a certain level, we're really reusing certain imagery to kind of evoke sympathy from the audience and maybe not uh, doing much new stuff. I think this film does do some things interestingly, like the Braveheart parallels are there. Uh, the performances are generally great. And yeah, the fact that, you know... It, it tells a story that we don't quite know, right? This isn't the story of the original Birth of a Nation film. Uh, that movie, by the way, 1915, it's been 100 years since that movie came out. So that was one of like the first blockbusters, too, cinema-wise. So it's really interesting that you know he kind of took the title and is trying to course-correct what it is and try to give a more real experience of how this nation was birthed. And I think it does cover a lot of things there. Um, I just wish more time was spent on the actual rebellion because once you get to that point, uh, it almost feels fast. It feels kind of glossed over in a way. We spend more time um, with Nat Turner before that, kind of his motivations and uh, his relationship with God. Uh, That's another thing, too. Like, he is a literate preacher, which was kind of uh, definitely a rare thing at the time for a black person. And uh, I, I don't think the movie convincingly showed enough, like, his tension with that as well right because at some point we see him um he's out preaching to other slaves but he's being used as a tool to help keep the slaves in line uh through the use of the bible and you know preaching uh and eventually he sees how it's both a tool of control and also can you know can be used as like a motivation for uprising uh i just think there's more to explore there there's there's just some there's a deeper relationship there that i'd like to see and uh, we could talk about some stuff in spoilers. Uh, this rebellion was gruesome in in really crazy ways, too. So I want, almost wonder if they held back from showing certain things uh, because it wouldn't make us as sympathetic to Nat Turner and everyone else. I wonder how much of that is a function of $8 million budget, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it does really feel like once things really start to get going that they are held back by the budget. Mm-hmm. I will say this about the movie. Uh, I think it's actually like pretty extraordinary uh from a first-time filmmaker you know it does feel like 
someone who's like pretty skilled made this movie overall. Uh, they might have been held back by the budget, but that like this is a guy, Nate Parker, who directed this movie and also is the main star. Who like yeah, I mean he has been uh, in a bunch of movies. He knows what movie sets are like and how they're and how you know filmmakers do their work. And so uh, and apparently like they begged, borrowed, and stole you know uh, metaphorically in order to raise the money for this movie. No one is going to fund a movie like this in the studio system. So they had to like get money from like dentists and stuff like that. Yeah, you know, it's to, really interesting at the end you can there's like 40 executive producer credits and because right. it's it's really one of those crowdsourced movies and I guess it took him 8 years to make this. Yeah, and so you you really this is want a passion project Yeah, sure, you really yeah. want a movie like this to be successful because it's telling a story uh, that we don't usually see depicted on screen from a perspective that we don't usually see on screen. And so you, you like, I just was rooting for this film from, mm -hmm. from the gate. Uh, and then, so to see like all the crazy stuff that's happened is uh, quite saddening uh, and tragic in a lot of ways. Um, and, uh, I'm not just talking about the tragedy of the movie's business. I'm just saying, like, like the actual tragedy that happened uh, with Nate Parker's accuser has just been uh, like really upsetting. And and then like on uh, as an extension of that, this movie failing to kind of live up to what we hoped it would be. Uh, it's just yeah. been like a, a sad situation all around. And the, I think the the slow the low box office is kind of a direct result of that too, because a lot of people are vocally boycotting this film, yeah. and I can understand why. Yeah. So I think that uh, in terms of what the film does well, uh, even with an incredibly low budget, I feel like it creates a uh, period look that is believable. And it's yet another entry in uh, cinema history that attempts to reckon with the horrific institution of slavery that I think a lot of people just still haven't really come to terms with how awful it was. You know, And yeah. so anything yeah. that can be done to put it back into the national conversation, to allow us to consider the injustices that were inflicted upon a whole group of people, um, and to see the resonance that some of those events have with today's events uh, – I think is important. It's valuable. So you true, know, it's, it's worth checking out. I mean, the one of the first scenes in the movie uh, is a slave trying to run away uh, or like being perceived running away and a slave catcher just uh, straight up wanting to execute that person because they could with, with impunity. Mm -hmm. And we live in a society today where uh, police are killing unarmed black people uh, with relative frequency in this country – uh, and suffering almost no consequences as a result. Mm -hmm. And and we're not that far away from that time. I mean, it's e it's easy for people, I think, to feel that that was such a long time ago. But it to to think that it's only a few generations removed from that. Right. Uh, I, I couldn't. I can't agree with you more, Dave. I think that. Um, I think it's it. I sat there. I will tell you. And my screening, which admittedly was a four o'clock screening on a Monday, but I was literally the only person in the theater. Yeah. yeah. And it made me sad because I felt like so many people should see this movie. I actually feel I prefer this movie to 12 Years a Slave personally. Mm -hmm. That may be a controversial statement, but I, as, as good as 12 Years a Slave I think was, it was a little more torture porny than I really wanted. And I feel like this movie handles that stuff – with such a better uh, – it's, it's in much a more subtle way. It's a, a deft hand uh, mm -hmm. in that 
it hits you with a wallop, but it doesn't linger on the sort of um, grotesque aspect of it, right? Hmm. It's it's not. And and while I understand that Twelve Years a Slave wanted it to be in your face, so you saw it and you came yeah. and you reckoned with it. I feel like this movie hit me on a deeper level because there was no. It, it wasn't. You know, it's more like the shark in Jaws, right? More of it was in my imagination. You get to see aftermath of things or, you know, you'll the way he frames shots and you just see a, a piece of something horrible in the corner. But what you're really looking at is the reaction on a face seeing that. Mm-hmm. I just found that to be so much more effective. It's hmm. also a little different, too, from most uh, stories around slavery because – it is about them fighting back. It's not just about um, you know them waiting for a white person to come and save them, like some sort of do-gooder, which is kind of the main complaint from 12 Years a Slave 2. I still I think that movie is just a lot more artful in what it's doing. But I can also understand um, a lot of writers I like. I think uh, Kara Brown and a bunch of folks have been arguing that maybe we should also move beyond slavery movies too uh, because we're, we're tending to also repeat certain imagery and not maybe not doing much new with it. I think this movie, at least by showing the uprising is giving us something we haven't seen as much before. All right. Well, I have some more thoughts about how deeply problematic this film is, but, Mm -hmm. um, uh, overall I I will say like, I I was caught up in the experience of it. And if you separate it from its historical accuracy and from the controversy surrounding it, I think it's a competent piece of work that, um, deserves to be seen. Now, of course, Mm -hmm. once we, go into those other things, uh, I, I may not feel that way anymore. Um, so let's just say, like, you know, my f- overall feeling was positive on the film, um, but I do think it has some deep problems that we'll, we'll get to right now. So uh, shall we get to spoilers, guys? Spoilers sure. for The Birth of a Nation starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Are going to see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. Let's first talk about the historical accuracy of the film. I think one of the things that's been so unfortunate is the way the film deploys women has now like been inextricably tied with the real-life situation that Nate Parker yeah. finds himself in. Yeah. Uh, the, the woman in this film... Are basically serve to be like their function is to be um, tortured and sexually violated in order to motivate men to take action. Um, I think Gabriel Union's character literally doesn't have any uh, words in the script. Uh, and the, so that is just like unfortunate that uh, that women that like that's women's sole function in the film. And also there's no historical basis for Correct. that. I, I mean, I mean, OK, so. Uh, rape and sexual violence definitely did happen uh, on plantations. That is sure. in- undeniable. And so to, to the film's credit, it does show that. But uh, that is not the proximate motivation for Nat Turner to you know, go on this slave uprising, which it is in the film. Right? Like, and in, more, in, yeah, go ahead. moreover, his actual motivation is, is actually kind of more inspiring. Like he actually – rose up because of perceived injustice. He recognized yeah. that slavery on its face is wrong, right? And then something had to be done. It wasn't, oh, they did a specific thing to my woman and therefore I have to rise up. I think that actually cheapens the ideology 
mm-hmm. of the film in a, in, a, in, a, in a certain respect. You know? uh, yeah, I think I, I agree with that. I agree with that. Like, could could there have been an alternate universe version of this film where um, the sexual uh, violation of Nat Turner's wife was not his primary motive? What seemingly to be his primary motivation? Yeah. Uh, it was, I mean, it was also one of many things too. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was. That was the, that was actually death of one his of, mother by old yeah. age. Like, yeah. it was weird. That was actually a great. Uh, mo- like element of the film, I thought um, was this idea that, uh, like the Bible, depending on how you read it, can be used to uh, justify all sorts of actions. Right. And if you're a believer in the Bible, you know that hey, this is um, Nat Turner reclaiming uh, the true message of freedom and you know love or whatever, and vi- you know going against those who are unjust. Like he's reclaiming the the true essence of the Bible by going on this rampage, um, and if you don't believe in the Bible, then it's kind of terrifying what this book can inspire people to do. You know, uh, well that's yeah. the yeah. It, it is pretty terrifying. <laughs> it is, yeah. and history has proven it again and again and again. Um, and and that's one of the ironies, right? Is that you watch this guy literally have a speech saying, "Hey." They've been saying the Bible means this, but I can find a verse where they tell me the exact opposite. And his his <laughs> conclusion isn't maybe we shouldn't listen to this book at all. <laughs> his conclusion is I need to murder everybody, right? Right. Uh, which is a little terrifying. Uh... By the way, Brian J. Roan is in the chat room right now, uh, and a very talented podcaster. And he says, "Cannot disagree with Jeff enough about Twelve Years a Slave regarding the torture porn. This film has one of the most horror movie scenes of treatment of slaves ever." Um, 12 Years a Slave treats every scene with similar aesthetic integrity. This film shoots each scene differently to suit wholly different tonal objectives. Uh, if, if, when you compare it to 12 Years a Slave, I mean, I think here's, – here's what I'll say about 12 Years a Slave compared to this movie. Uh, I think that this movie makes it seem like the, the plantation that Nat Turner is on is awesome. Uh, in the sense well, that like – early on. Early, early, on. early on. Yeah, it certainly gets worse as time goes on, but it's like – I know, I know plantations were different in their treatment of slaves, but it does feel like these people have a lot of spare time on their hands. Uh, and <laughs> just like, it's just like doing around having drama, getting married and that kind of stuff. And yeah, maybe that's accurate, but it does feel like, wow, this particular plantation doesn't necessarily convey the horrors of slavery in the way that like 12 Years a Slave did. Well, I uh, think that, yeah. I think, that, I mean, that, that may they, be true. That may mm-hmm. be true, but I think the, the more pertinent point the film is trying to make is that is – that, uh, the Nat's character is lulled into the sense that the plantation owner is on his side yes. when he is yes. not. Fair enough. And yeah. that's fair enough. That's yeah. the point it's trying to make is like, oh, he thinks he's he's got one of the good ones. I played with him when I was a any. kid. It, yeah. We're friends. Yeah. 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 There weren't any good ones. Yeah. 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 No, I think one thing that uh, wasn't conveyed well in the film was this. Uh, so, so this this disparate plantations, I think, is like pretty pretty well conveyed and one of the interesting elements of the film. I think one thing that wasn't done well was uh, apparently like uh, Mr. Turner's descent into alcoholism and violence. Like you, you have like shots of him drinking more alcohol, Army Hammer drinking more and more alcohol, but that's yeah. basically it. Um, it felt like his crimes, Turner's mm-hmm. crimes, were not super egregious compared to like some of the other plantations that we see. Whereas I yeah. believe in real life, he was uh, pretty bad to his slaves. Is my understanding? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they, they could have showed that better, but there were there were definitely the turning points, like that weird dinner um, where things got a little. Yeah, got a little more intense, and you start to see him not as somebody who will actually just protect. Nah. Right, 
Right, right, right. Um, the the resonance too, like with uh, real like modern day times of um, white men getting rich off of black men's skills. I yep. thought was, you know, this movie I think like does refer to these things in a fairly skillful and not super hand-handed way. Um, yeah. So, so it does do some things well. But you know how the movie treats women, and then I think the ending. We've talked about it, but it does feel like its reach exceeds its grasp from a budget perspective. Also, mm-hmm. by the way, none of that stuff with Jerusalem actually happened. You know, that's another. <laughs> Right, it's right. another uh, historical. They never got to accuracy. Jerusalem. They never like, got to there, me. Right? Like I've read some of the like historical accounts too. Like it's the that is less of a bad thing, I guess, in this movie compared to some of the other the other arguments, especially that we'll make around uh, you know Nate Parker's accusations. Uh, uh, yeah. W- w- well, you, well, I think we're just talking right now about uh, historical accuracy of the film, right? Right. And right. Uh, how many important elements of the film are not historically accurate. It's not just like. Uh, you know, it's not just like oh, they compressed a few characters into one. You know, it's not just like they they took they made a few shortcuts and they captured the essence of what happened. At times, it feels like the movie did not capture the essence of what happened. Yeah, and, yeah, no, I totally uh, agree. And that's that. a, that's a big problem. So, and even even something like the way he presented himself to uh, you know to be arrested at the end, uh, you know, that's heightened for dramatic effect because he was kind of just found hiding. Yeah, so that exactly. would be less heroic to see rather than him walking in to be, yeah. uh, you know, beat up. Although, man, what a scene! Like, I think this shows that at least uh, Nate Parker knows how to uh, play to a crowd in terms of like giving us something that'll evoke some sort of emotion. Yeah. Uh, what I was referring to before about the uh, the actual uh, uprising, um, I can understand the budget concerns there, but this thing was crazy because like they also they killed kids, they killed women, and I wonder how. Could you have reconciled that, like, as your heroes doing something like this because of what's been done to them? And is there a greater message there to say? But instead, uh, the movie pretty much just ignores that side of it, too. Yeah, the the end title card says that they killed 60 plantation owners and their families. Yes. And in the movie, you think that they'd killed, like, four. Yeah, you right. know? Or, and so, also just pretty much just men, I think, too. Right. So, it's, so it, 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 you, you only see them kill people that have do- specifically done egregious things against them yep. when they went on a murderous rampage. And I think you're right. I think that's a much more difficult thing to sell as a film. But I think it would have been a really mm-hmm. interesting You can embrace that complexity, you know? Like, yeah. it, I understand the need to maybe want to make a film telling the Nat Turner story in a very, like, heroic way. But... You know, heroes have their dark sides too, and uh, the exact consequences of that in the in the title cards, like of how many um, the retaliatory murders of black people as well, that's all tied. You know, that's why hundreds of uh, people were killed is because of how bad the uh, the uprising was too. That would have been a really complex and interesting way to handle all this, and I'm just sad we didn't see that. Let's talk about the real life controversy around Nate Parker. Um, so we've already kind of finish saying our thoughts about the movie um so let's talk about what's going on with nate parker essentially what's happened i'm going to sum up the situation as best as i can um but uh a long time ago many years ago uh nate parker and uh his colleague were accused of sexual assault um they were both ultimately acquitted uh and the accuser committed suicide in 2012 those allegations surfaced this year uh, again, as well as you know the news of the accuser's suicide. And since then, uh, Nate Parker has been on the defense. Now, uh, 
I think a very legitimate issue people have is, well, if he was acquitted, then why is this a big deal, right? Why does it matter if he was found not guilty? And my understanding is that it's a big deal because even though he was technically acquitted, uh, that it's it's likely there was still some wrongdoing in the situation. Right. And, and it's we really seen, hard to get a conviction. It's very hard to get a conviction cases. in rape cases. And we have seen, even this year, you know, people, situations where people who are accused of rape, they get acquitted a lot easier than we would hope. Or they get much less of a punishment than uh, people think they deserve. Right? And that, that's just the way, that's kind of a systemic injustice in our uh, system that frequently transpires, right? So is, is that a fairly good summary, guys? Do you think, think I left anything out there? Or is that, that sounds about right. I mean, the, uh, so the, also the person who he was you know, charged together with, um, I mean, I think he was convicted for a little while, and then eventually it was, uh, it was appealed right. successfully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So exactly. there's that. And he also got a story credit on the movie, too. So they're still like creative partners, Correct, correct. And uh, making the situation quote-unquote worse um, is that Nate Parker has had opportunities to uh, seem contrite about this and to apologize for this. And his uh, his line on this uh, is uh, on Good Morning America, quote, I was falsely accused, I was proven innocent, and I'm not going to apologize for that, end quote. Yeah. Uh, and so – you know, like that's basically been his line. I, I you know, I, I don't know the truth of the matter. Like, I don't know what actually transpired between Nate Parker and this person. Uh, it feels like a lot of people think he did some stuff wrong, that he his understanding of consent was inaccurate or mm-hmm. in, inadequate. Uh, and so a lot of people, I think, are, are down on him for not taking this opportunity to have a more uh, robust dialogue about what is consent and uh, for him to be more contrite and own up to things. A little more conciliatory would, would have been, um, I know, the smarter move for him. Uh, but also there are reports of like how he and the people who supported him on his campus basically uh, waged uh, you know, a, a, a character assassination campaign against the accuser, which is also gross. You know, and also led to a lot of bad things happening for her, like going from being a perfect student to somebody who had to deal with a lot of uh, a lot more issues because of that. Yeah. So uh, so that combined with the film's treatment of rape and sexual violence, it makes for a situation that like is understandably um, lowering the film stature in Hollywood. It's not great. Although, uh, I mean, we, we didn't point this out generally in the review. But uh, I am very glad that in the uh, there are two rape scenes that are, you know, assumed. It kind of uh, we know what happened because of the aftermath. But I'm very glad we didn't get like a very overt, um, you know, representation of what actually happened. Like there aren't any crazy prolonged or uh, violent rape scenes or anything, which that's at least a little smarter in terms of how to represent it. So. Uh so overall, like the situation is just very unfortunate. I don't think there's anyone that's like going to come out of this looking particularly good. And uh, I just feel like we need to acknowledge that there is, you know, this controversy going on uh, that not only affects the film's prospects, but also like how we see and understand the film. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, I don't know what else there is to say about it other than that. Um, it's, it's, I mean, it's I think really people, sad. People, yeah. people need to basically do their own research and make up their own minds because, like, mm-hmm. whatever we say, uh, let, let me just say, like, both sides of this are, like, very vehement. 
You know, in yes. terms of like some people think some people agree completely with Nate Parker and they think, hey, he's he's acquitted. Why are we making this a big deal? Like what false yeah. accusations should not be given any acknowledgement whatsoever because they are life altering and so on. Right. And then there's other people who, who think, hey, um, Nate Parker needs to develop and declare a better understanding of consent. Uh, mm-hmm. And just because he's acquitted, it doesn't mean anything, you know. Yeah, uh, I, I think there there is a middle way to see all that too because it's it's hard because you don't, you're none of us were there. We can't like say for sure exactly what happened. I think all the evidence on the public record is kind of gross, and that's the main feeling I'm getting out of this. And I wish he had done better because I've been following this guy for a while. He is immensely talented. Go watch uh, Beyond the Lights and tell me you know he he's not going to be a star at some point. And it just kind of makes me sad. But, um, yeah, it's something we're dealing with in the film community as well. So these things, I, I think the important thing is that we're talking about it more openly right now. The consequences, um, yeah, some people may think they're unfair, but a lot of this stuff just seems bottled up, too. Like, we've heard the accusations against Devin Faraci, and he stepped down from badass, uh, Was it, birth movies, death now. And I think the response to that site and Tim League and uh, Meredith, who I think wrote the uh, the Farewell Post, that's all been very good. And Devin's response hasn't been as much. Uh, but yeah, they, these things exist and we're talking about it. And hopefully that'll affect some sort of change. Uh, I think talking about it is important. And yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, just last week on the uh, Summer Movie Wager, I referred to one of Devin's articles. Uh, a lot of stuff has happened since then. This is a minefield in terms of a discussion topic. Uh, and my encouragement is just for people to read up as much as you can and make your own decisions uh, and decide what to think for yourself. Uh, because, like, you know, I- I'm not advocating my responsibility in terms of doing that because I have read up on it and I have made my decisions. Mm-hmm. But I think, like, me telling you uh, what is the right thing to think, I don't think is going to be a successful. Uh, process. So I think like people should just like gather as much information as they can and uh, and come to their yeah. own conclusions. Um, but I also think like the fact that it, things are becoming more out in the open uh, in terms of both the Nate Parker case and in terms of things going on in the film community right now. Um, I think that's good, and I think it will mm-hmm. lead to better things and a better and more welcoming atmosphere, even though it is very painful right now. So yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hard thing, and it's this ongoing um, dilemma that I have of, of separating art from artist. Right? Is how, where do you draw that line? You know, we just had a a big discussion on my video game podcast about Palmer Lucky and uh, his sort of repugnant positions and and supporting hate groups and stuff. And mm-hmm. you know, do you are you do you enjoy a product that came from a person that did that or you know do you enjoy films from people that have done horrible things the the films can be great the films can be incredible the the art produced from people that have done uh, objectionable things or been part of objectionable things it can still be great art, right? So where where do you draw that line? And that thing that is the thing that I continue to struggle with. Um, yeah, in my personal life too. It's it's like it, you know I'm a huge Woody Allen fan. I I think his work is has meant so much to me. I am a huge fan of the work of Bill Cosby. You know, it's these are these are things we've talked about before on the show. But I think as we 
as we <laughs> end the era of privacy in the world and we enter the era of everything is knowable, uh, I think we will have to reckon with mm-hmm. those people and those acts more and more. I think it's a, it's a very tough thing. Some things should be known pretty much. Like I've been getting uh, messages from people saying like, should I go see Birth of a Nation? I know I hear all these people are boycotting it. I, we can't tell you what to do. Uh, I've read up enough about it. It's a film that interested me because of its content. Uh, so I, you know, I watched it and I really want to talk about it. I will just say this one last thing. So I recorded a video review with my friend uh, Wendy. Uh, and you can find this review at SlashFilm.com. It's also on my YouTube channel, at Dave Chensky on YouTube. Uh, Wendy is an African-American female. And uh, she didn't want to see this film uh, and like refused to give Nate Parker any money, which I thought was like a, a very defensible point of view, um, given all that's happened. I paid for her ticket. And... Uh, I, I will just say that, like, the uh, amount of hate that uh, she got uh, in the comments was very shocking to me. I, I've removed uh, all those comments on the YouTube channel, but you know, like, on the one hand, it's like, okay, like, am I surprised that there's trolls on YouTube? No, you know. But uh, I think John Oliver put it really well one time when he said, "Like, have you never been harassed online? Then congratulations on your white penis." Uh, and I kind of feel, I kind of feel similar. Like, you know, overall I have been pretty lucky when it comes to rest, but there's been a few people who have been jerks to me, but I have not really gotten that much racist, uh, and you know, anti-gender hatred, uh-huh. um, like directed at me and just like doing this video review with her and like seeing lots of people using like racial epithets and like, uh, epithets and like all this, all calling her all this horrible stuff. And, uh, it was it was very eye opening to me. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like um, you hear women tell you all the time that um, harassment occurs, uh, and I believe them. But it's one thing to hear them and believe them. It's another thing to like actually get dozens of hateful messages on your YouTube channel. Yeah. Uh, and like experience it like quasi firsthand. Oh, this um, is every day. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's for, every day. It's every day. And I guess uh, I bring it up just to say like. Uh, hey, and she was, by the way, representing one point of view that like this movie should not be supported, you know, because you're you're bringing up Devendra, like, should you support this movie? People can have different points of view on it. You can say you want to support this movie, you want to see it, that's fine. I also think it's very reasonable to say you don't want to see it because of all the controversy around it. I think that's also fine. But her very reasonable point of view, I think, was being attacked because she's a black woman, and yeah. uh, and that was really upsetting to me. And I think it reinforces both like the need to be vigilant against harassment about harassment against women online um and also the need to like include more diverse voices and i know people have given us crap about that sometimes that we're three dudes on this podcast um it's something that i want to do more often include uh female voices and we try to do it whenever we can so the and the um, irony too is that this movie is making that same point like the the movie itself (laughs) <laughs> which is it's it's so unfortunate that it gets it, it's in this position but the movie itself i came out of feeling more empathetic to a uh cultural experience that i have not had yeah right yeah. so it, it just it's just it's it's sad it's sad that like the movie has become a flashpoint like that that actually like divides people rather than right, like, because i feel yeah. like the movie itself could help heal a little bit you know in in a certain sense you know having empathy is always better um but you know, you speak about 
the the assaults that you are you are witnessing online uh and and I don't doubt it one bit but the, for me the bigger revelation and obviously this is not a we don't need to go down this road too far but the bigger revelation to me you know in the in the wake of uh all the Trump stuff is is the physical assaults like I get I don't get but I I have a better time understanding that verbal assaults happen like uh, online you know any, anybody can type anything with anonymity but the thing as a white male that i did not understand was happening at such frequency is physical personal assault all the time like just it, the number of women that have come out and said a man grabbed me a man uh, you know assaulted me like that to me is a paradigm shift of, yeah. of my thinking. Like I yeah. had no idea that was happening so much. Yeah. That is the one good thing to come out of those Trump tapes, maybe is that <laughs> it has, it has emboldened more people to speak out about their, uh, uh, things that have happened in their past that, you know, like they've been scared to talk about. And I, I think the more we have of that, the better. Um, so anyway, a uh, lot of feelings, this movie stirring up and, um, you know, I hope that uh, people, yeah, make your own decisions, read up, decide what you think, and uh, be smart about it. Be informed. That's all. That's the only thing I can advocate for. Uh, that's this episode of the Slash Filmcast. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can find more episodes of our podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Jeff Kanata, more of your work can be found where on the internet? You can always find me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I also have several other shows for you to check out. If you want to hear me talk about video games, uh, you can hear the DLC podcast at 5x5.tv slash DLC. Uh, I also do a comedy science show called We Have Concerns, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra? Oh, you can find me at, at Devendra on Twitter, and I also write about techandgadget.com and check out the Engadget podcast, which we are now reviving. And uh, I launched a podcast called Decoding Westworld at decodingwestworld.com with John Robinson. You can hear us talk about Westworld. Uh, we'll be recapping every episode uh, and find all the rest of my stuff at davechen.me. Next week, we'll be reviewing The Accountant, yeah, filmed yeah. by uh, yeah. Gavin O'Connor, I think, with uh, Ben Affleck. I am very looking forward to... Killer Accountants. Yeah, I've been waiting seeing, for this movie. I, I, you know, accountants are way more dangerous than you might give them credit for. Uh, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. Okay, I'm going to play the music now. <laughs> but you don't actually hear it if you're in the bro- uh, live broadcast. Uh, or if you're us right now on the Slash Guest. But it'll be here, guys. It'll be here. All right, so can you guys pretend you just heard it? Man! Wow! That, <laughs> that was awesome, right, guys? That's <laughs> uh, really actually... Chills cool. down my body. <laughs> 
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. 